0: And would you turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke and that to chapter 3 as we continue in Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 3, verse 23. We will be reading from verse 23 through verse 38. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the Son as was supposed of Joseph, the Son of Heli, the Son of Mattith, the Son of Levi, the Son of Melchi, the Son of Jani, the Son of Joseph, the Son of Mattathias, the Son of Amos, the Son of Nahum, the Son of Esli, the Son of Nagai, the Son of Maath, the Son of Mattathias, the Son of Simeon, the Son of Joseph, the Son of Jodah, the Son of Joanan the son of Reza, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melkai, the son of Adi, The son of Kosam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of mattith the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonim, the son of Eliakim, the son of Melia, the son of Mena, the son of Mattatha the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arnai, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, give us light this very hour. Give us light to be able to see your word with all clarity and with overwhelming conviction. Illumine our minds as we turn our attention to the exposition of Holy Scripture. And we ask that you would speak to us from the text. That you would show us the glory of Christ in every word. And as you spoke light out of darkness, we ask that you would shine your light into the darkened hearts of the unbelieving. By your grace, give to them what you have given to us, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, in whose name and whose word we now submit and pray. Amen. I think I took more time practicing those names than preparing my sermon. One of the features of preaching expositionally is that the text of Scripture is not up for the preacher to decide, but is given. It is already determined and provided for us this afternoon, is a genealogy of Jesus Christ. Yet we trust that even such a list of 77 names is nothing less, nothing more, than God's holy and inspired Word given to us for our instruction, for our reproof, and for our correction. Well, what is a genealogy? It's a line of descent that traces a person's past from one ancestor to the next. And it was how the people of old kept record of one's family tree. And we find in the pages of Scripture that there are quite a few genealogies. It was important, as it said something about a person's history, about a person's family, about a person's identity. All of us, all of us, we have a genealogy. It's just a matter of whether we know it or not. I'm sure you have received at one time or another some kind of advertisement from Ancestry.com. I'm always curious to know my lineage, but I doubt that paying $39.99 monthly will provide me with anything that I don't already know as my family records are probably, again, truthfully, probably somewhere in North Korea. But in the life of Israel, a genealogy did more than just give information about a person's lineage. It determined where a person lived. In the law of God, buying and selling property could only take place within each particular tribe, which means a person couldn't just buy from or sell to just anyone, but land had to stay within the family. A genealogy also dictated what you did for work. In the beginning of Luke, we were introduced to a man by the name of Zechariah who was a priest because, because he came from the family of Aaron. Those from the tribe of Levi were to serve God and His people in very specific ways. It also revealed one's status. Not every tribe was viewed the same. Some were held in higher esteem, such as Judah and Benjamin, over against the rest of the ten that had been lost in exile. You'll remember Paul, in laying down the credentials of his pedigree, said that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews from the tribe of Benjamin. And so a genealogy was important as it revealed your past and even determined your your present. Now for inquiring Jews, a genealogy would have been absolutely essential in regards to Jesus Christ. To know His background. To know where He came from. To know His family. And we can see why Luke wanted to provide such a one for Jesus. To give validation that He was Israel's long-awaited Messiah, that he was rightfully king and savior of the world. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at Jesus' genealogy. And I actually have an outline for us in this running list of names. And the first is that I want us to look at a problem, a problem regarding Jesus' genealogy. And it's very apparent. Then second is that there's something in which we can learn from this genealogy that is practical. This ancient list speaks to us in the present. And third, I want us to see the very purpose for which Luke provided for us this genealogy. So I've made it fairly easy for you to follow along with three Ps, the problem, the practical, and the purpose. Well, as we begin to take a look at this genealogy, the first thing that we encounter is that there is a glaring problem. And that because Luke's genealogy is not the only genealogy of Jesus provided for us in the Bible. Matthew begins his gospel with a genealogy of Jesus. Well, you might be asking, well, why is that a problem? It's because when you place these two genealogies side by side, the names don't match up. And that can be kind of concerning to those who hold to the truthfulness of Scripture. The genealogy that is provided for us by Luke is vastly different than the genealogy given to us by Matthew. And so, if you will, place a bookmark or leave your finger here in Luke chapter 3 and turn to Matthew chapter 1 and try to, if you can, go back and forth between these two genealogies, as I point out some of the stark differences to you. Matthew lists out a total of 42 names, whereas Luke gives 77. And that's understandable because not every genealogy records every descendant. Many of the genealogies in Scripture, they skip generations and not all have the same starting point and end. You'll notice also that Matthew begins with Abraham, and moves forward to Jesus while Luke begins with Jesus and moves backwards all the way back to the beginning with Adam. In other words, Matthew goes from the past to the present while Luke goes from the present to the past. Now, all these differences shouldn't cause any panic for us as genealogies can can vary from one to another. But here is the big head scratcher. Notice both genealogies tell us that Jesus was a descendant of David. Now, this isn't new information for us. In Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel told Mary that the Lord would give to her a child who would bear the throne of his father David. We recognize that Jesus came from the line of David. And Matthew and Luke, they both convey that. But the names that flow from David diverge and deviate. The names in Matthew chapter 1 from David to Joseph are completely different than that of Luke chapter 3. Even to the point that Joseph is given two different fathers. Look at Matthew chapter 1 verse 16. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. But here's what we find in Luke chapter 3 verse 23. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, son of Heli. Notice that two different names are given as being the father of Joseph. Joseph, the son of Jacob in Matthew. Joseph, the son of Heli in Luke. And from those two men up to David, the names names don't correlate with each other. They are entirely different. And the looming question when faced with these two genealogies is that of the reliability of the Bible. Is this a contradiction, an error, a fallacy in God's inerrant word? This past Thursday, Brother Max preached on the confusion of the church. And you see, there are some who will answer that question with a yes. Yes, there is an error in Scripture. Therefore, the Bible cannot be trusted. It is not spirit-inspired, but like any other man-made document, subject to mistake. And the way to go about explaining the discrepancy is by saying that Luke, being a Gentile, didn't have access to the records in which Matthew, as a Jew, had. And so he probably, Luke, had bad intel. And so Matthew's genealogy is, in all probability, more accurate compared to Luke. Luke's record is faulty. He was probably confused. Now, here's why we we cannot come to that conclusion. It's because as a Christian believer, I cannot reckon that the God who speaks to me in His Word is Himself confused. It would be wiser to assume that the ignorance is ours and not in Him. That's a good way to approach the Bible when you come to an, an apparent contradiction. Rather than thinking the fault lies within it, the fault lies within me. There's something I cannot see. There's something I don't know. Well, what we have here in Matthew and in Luke are different names because they are different people. Well, why? It's because there has never been a genealogy like that of Jesus in the history of time. One who was born from a virgin. Which is to say, he physically did not have a blood father. And so how do you even begin to make such a family tree? And so Matthew and Luke, having no precedent, having no guide, no example with such a unique and otherworldly person, took two different approaches. Matthew decided to follow the lineage of Joseph. And Luke decided to follow the lineage of Mary. And following Jewish custom, omitted the name of Mary, a woman from the record. Luke has already established for us the fact that Jesus was without a biological father. He says in Luke chapter 3, verse 23, that Jesus being the Son, as was supposed of Joseph. The NIV says it like this, being the Son, so it was thought of Joseph. As if to say, this is what the people thought was the father of Jesus. This is who appeared to be the father of Jesus. But we know he really wasn't in the flesh. He had no earthly father. And so Luke moves to Jesus' closest male ancestor, his grandfather from his mother's side, Mary. And Luke uses Mary's lineage. While Matthew uses Joseph's lineage. One was the legal line, that of Joseph. The other was the bloodline, that of Mary. And while Joseph's father, Jacob, traces back to Solomon, the son of David, Mary's father, Heli, takes us back to David's son, Nathan. And so here was Jesus. Not simply from the line of David, but doubly so. Through both father and mother. Now, That's not just a random fact about Jesus. But that had great significance. It's because if you look at Matthew chapter 1, and if you look at the genealogy of Matthew, there is found to be a curse. A curse in Matthew chapter 1, verse 12, upon a king by the name of Jeconiah. Well, Jeconiah has another name. He's also called Kaniah, or his other name is Jehoiachin. He was the king that was deported to Babylon when the Lord sent Israel into exile because of their disobedience. And God brought about a curse, a curse on that king. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 22. Jeremiah chapter 22. Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 24. As I live, declares the Lord, though Conaniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet ring on my right hand, yet I would tear you off and give you into the hand of those who seek your life and into the hand of those whom you are afraid, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. I will hurl you and the mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you shall die. But to the land to which they will long to return, they shall not return. Is this man, Kaniah a despised broken pot, a vessel no one cares for? Why are he and his children hurled and cast into a land that they do not know? O land, 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 hear the word of the Lord, thus says the Lord, Write this man down as childless, a man who shall not succeed in his days, for none of his offspring... Here's the curse. None of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. Well, what's the curse? None of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David. A Jew could have taken accusation against Jesus that he had no rightful claim as the King of Israel if he were to be the offspring of Jeconiah. You see, a genealogy is important. It tells about a person, their history, their lineage, their past, their inheritance. And here's why Luke's genealogy mattered. Joseph was only the supposed Father of Jesus because the Son of God truly came from the womb of the Virgin Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit whose family tree knew nothing of a curse. You see, there was no argument one could make to deny Jesus' rightful place on the throne. He was and is Israel's rightful King. He is the Son of David in that Doubly so. He is the true heir, the very fulfillment of God's promise to rule and to reign over His people. He lacks not the pedigree, which means He has every right to rule and reign and over every soul, over every life, yours and mine. And you see, for us, it isn't the curse of an old king that prevents us from seeing Christ as ruler over our lives. But the corruption of our hearts. The many masters in which we give our allegiance to. And that leads us to our second point in that there is something very practical for us to see here. The list of names here in Luke chapter 3 teaches us what it means to be human. And that they lived and they died. This is a record of names of men who came into this earth and, and they left. Listen to J.C. Ryle. He says this, What a frail and dying creature is man. They had all their joys and sorrows, their hopes and fears, their cares and troubles, their schemes and plans, like any of ourselves. But they all passed away from the earth and gone to their own place. And so it will be with us. We too are passing away and shall soon be gone. In other words, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return is what God told Adam. What a frail and dying creature is man. You know, most of the names here in Luke are are unfamiliar to us. Nearly half of them don't even appear in the Old Testament. But these men were just like us. They were no different. You see, all of us, we are all born into a common humanity. They suffered from the things in which we suffer. They celebrated the things in which we celebrate. And they were guilty of the things in which we are found to be guilty. All these men were sinners. And they were flawed. Notice who we find here in Jesus' genealogy. Noah was a drunkard. Terah was an idolater. Abraham, that we just learned about today, he was a liar. Jacob was a cheater and he was a thief. Judah, he lied with prostitutes. David was a murderer and an adulterer. Like every other genealogy, Luke records for us a long line of sinners. And because they sinned, they died. They're no longer alive. They lived a short time on earth. At one time, they were young, but they grew old, and they died. Even Methuselah, in verse 37, who lived 969 years, he too had to be buried. And you see, the very practical thing that we learn here is this. That the soul who sins will die. And so every genealogy, in a way, is a tragic one. And that's because it's filled with human beings. Men are born into sin, who then live, who then die. This is what it means to be a fallen human being. But we don't have to die without hope. It's because there is someone in this genealogy who lived and who died and who rose from the dead. There is a man in this genealogy here who is unlike all the others. Who is human who is divine, who is truly God and truly man. And he is not a myth. He is not some fictional character fabricated in the past. But he is a real person who is living today. Luke tells us that his name is Jesus. And he is found at the very beginning of this genealogy. And he is able to save. Save men and women. Save boys and girls. Save sinners from their sin. You see, that's the real problem in this genealogy. Not the names, but the real problem is man's sin. Sin that condemns us, sin that guilts us, sin that buries us, sin that tears us away from a holy God. But the Gospel is that God came to us in His Son wrapped in our flesh, wrapped in our humanity, and He is found in this list of men because He came to us as a man through the womb of the Virgin Mary, to live and to stand in our place as a law-abiding human, as a perfect and sinless human, never to err, never to sin, and to bear the very wrath of God and His disdain of sin upon the cross in the place of a long list of sinners. For them He died. For them He rose. He rose from the grave for their salvation and for their life. There is hope. There is hope for those who are in Christ. And so the greater question than the question of who these names are and why they diverge is really this. Are you in Christ? That's the real question. Are you in Christ? Have you repented of your sins and have you placed your trust in Him? You see, for those who are in Christ, that though they die, they will Live, live not like Methuselah for a very long time, 969 years, but more like Enoch, his son, who walked with God and was not for God took him. Luke's genealogy is a long list of men, but only one man truly matters. The God-man Jesus Christ. He, He is the savior of this list. He is the solution to the real problem. Well, that is the practical thing. The eternally practical thing that cannot be avoided here in this genealogy. It is to place our faith in the first name in this genealogy. Now there is more reason as to why we should do so. Why we should trust this man. Why we should trust this first man in this genealogy which Luke wants to show us which we come to the third and to the last part of our outline, its purpose. Why did Luke provide for us this genealogy of Jesus Christ? Notice how Matthew begins his Gospel with the genealogy of Jesus. Whereas Luke inserts it in what looks to be a very random place following Jesus' baptism. That's not out of accident. You see, Luke in giving us this genealogy is wanting to tell us a story. Not only about the humanity of Christ. Not only about the brevity of sinful humanity. Not only about Jesus' lineage and family. But Luke is giving us a story. Luke is giving us a tale of God's sons. And this genealogy follows right after Jesus' baptism, notice? Notice? Because there we were clearly told of God's Son. Look with me in chapter 3, verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on Him in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. God declared from the heavens, and it was made audible for all who were there of the Father's very pleasure in His Son. Now the reason why this genealogy is provided for us here is because God had another Son. God had another Son. We know His Son at the beginning of this list. But God had another Son at the end of this list. The long list of men ends, and notice, chapter 3, verse 38, with, The son of Adam, the son of God. Adam was also God's son. And when we look at his genealogy, he too had no biological, he too had no earthly father, but had only one father who had formed and fashioned him, and that in his image. And as a son, he was made to reflect that image. He was created with the, the capacity and the desire to imitate the character of His Father and His Creator. He too was sinless at the moment He was formed. And He was given a role to represent His Father to the world. But tragically, this son wasn't content. The son wasn't content with the role That was granted to him, and he rebelled against his father and spurned the image of God in which he was made. Now, at this point in the story, God would have been completely justified in abandoning this son and the very purpose for which he made him, in that reflecting, in that representing, in that imitating of his God and his father. But the story continues. And in time, God raised up another son. This son was not an individual, but a nation, a people. Through Abraham, God called forth an entire nation, an entire people called Israel to take up the mantle, to take the responsibility in which God's son Adam had dropped. So here we have another son. And when the time was right, God, through Moses, spoke to Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 4. Verse 22, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go. Before Moses told Pharaoh on God's behalf, let my people go, he said, let my son go, that they may serve me. And so you see, God raised up another son this time by the name of Israel. He delivers them from Egypt, gives to this second son the same purpose with which he gave the first, to bear his image, to reflect his character, to represent their father. And so God told Israel, Be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. But just like the first son, the second son utterly failed. And what we find in Scripture is that Israel was no more faithful to the charge than Adam was. They committed idolatry. They they went after other gods. They spurned His grace. They loved not and despised the Lord. And like the prodigal son, they, they squandered all that the Father had given to them. God's chosen and holy people had failed to represent the Lord to the world, to the nations. And as God's punishment, they were sent into exile. Again, at this point, God would have been fully justified if He had decided to simply dispense judgment upon humanity, abandon His plan to create a people who would reflect His character and His glory. But the story of redemption, the story of God's sons is this, that God sent to us His only begotten Son. Following the failure of God's sons, God sent His eternal Son to undo and to remedy the consequences of the two sons in Adam and in Israel. And this is why Luke specifically tells us in chapter 3, verse 23, that Jesus, when he began his ministry, when he began to work, was about 30 years of age. Why do you need to tell us, Luke, how old Jesus was in this genealogy, right? To tell us that Jesus was no longer a boy. Nor even a young man, but that Jesus was a full man, just as Adam was found in the garden, not as a baby, not as a boy, but as a full man. You see, you see what Luke is attempting to show us here, and we sing it: that Jesus is the true and better Adam. Whereas in Adam, paradise was lost. But remember what the dying thief said to Jesus: that "They." Both hung upon the cross. The dying thief said, remember me. And Jesus responded, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Luke is wanting to tell us in this genealogy that we have a second Adam. A better Adam. And not only the true Adam, but also the true and faithful Israel. You know, Matthew, following his genealogy, Matthew quotes from Hosea chapter 11 to say this about Jesus, after Joseph and Mary took the child to flee from Herod. You remember that part of the story? And Matthew quotes from Hosea chapter 11, and he says, out of Egypt, I called my son. In the narrative of Jesus, he was taken by his parents to Egypt away from the wrath of Herod. And Matthew, in quoting what is obviously a reference to Israel, points to Jesus as the true Israel. It's because like the Israel of old, Jesus came up out of Egypt. Like the Israel of old, passed through the waters of the sea in his baptism. And like the Israel of old, was tested in the wilderness. Notice what comes right after Jesus' genealogy in Luke chapter 3. Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Why? To show that where the Israel of old failed, the true Israel, He passed the test. What were the stipulations given to Israel? Blessings for obedience, cursings for disobedience. But this Israel never disobeyed. This Israel was ever faithful and ever true and obtained, unlike the Israel of old, not the cursing, but the blessing. And you see, the Gospel is that this Son took upon Himself our cursing in order that He might give the blessing to take the paradise which was lost and to give it to those who trust in Him. And if we take a look at this genealogy, Luke, he tells us in this genealogy how Jesus, the Son of God, is able to do this. And notice, as I said before, this genealogy begins with Jesus. And it begins by saying that Jesus was the son of, as was supposed, of Joseph and the son of Heli. It keeps going all the way back through all of humanity to the son of Adam. To say this genealogy in shorthand, Jesus was not only God's son, but Adam's son. Man's son. At His baptism, He was declared to be the son of God. And in this genealogy, Luke is telling us He is also the son of man. And you see, the only way in which generations and generations of ruined sinners can be saved is by such a person who is both with these two natures in one person, both the Son of God and the Son of Man. This genealogy is a tale of God's sons. Beloved, how much do we truly appreciate Jesus? You know, as we take a step back, remember that Luke was writing to Theophilus, and I wonder what he wanted his friend to know. Because we might look at this genealogy and just look at it as a bunch of names. But Luke put this genealogy here for his friend Theophilus, who is struggling. Struggling about the certainty of the Savior, struggling with his own faith, struggling to know if this person, Jesus, was really the answer. And Luke is essentially saying this to his friend Theophilus Theophilus, if you will but turn your eyes upon Jesus, you will find that in him is concentrated the sum total of everything. That you need. That's what Luke is saying. He is the Son who has accomplished in which all the other sons have failed to do. And you see then that there's no question as to why His Father would declare, this is My Son with whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. In this Son is all the pleasure of God His Father. And here's the thing. When we are found to be in His Son, the Father takes that very pleasure and lavishes it upon us. Which He then calls us His very own sons and daughters. You see, there is no greater privilege. There is no greater joy. There is no greater status. All of that is found in His Son. Jesus, which is why we must always be turning our eyes upon Him. All that we need is concentrated in Him. Will that not quell our anxieties? Will that not alleviate our depression? Will that not remedy our discontentment? Will that not comfort our pain? He is the sum total of all that we could ever ask or need. In His baptism, He has identified Himself with sinners, which means He can bear our sins. In this genealogy, He has shown us that He is human, which means He can be a great high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. He is the Son of David, which means He is the rightful King over our hearts and over our souls. He is the son of Abraham, which means all of God's promises are yours in Him. He is the true Israel, which means He has obtained the blessing. He is the son of Adam, which means He has regained for us paradise. He is the son of God, which means He had made us sons and daughters of His Father in heaven. All of this is concentrated in Him. And there is nothing, there is nothing, that we need, that is outside of Him. This is how Luke wants us to see this genealogy of Jesus, that we might see Him for who He really is. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Father, we thank You for Your Son in whom there is all that we need. But we turn our eyes upon Him Help us to see Him as He is. Forgive us for our affections are so weak and so fleeting, and so lacking for thinking that anything we need can be found outside of Him. Give to us the grace, the grace of faith. We believe, but help our unbelief that we might continually be turning to Christ to see that He is better, that He shines brighter, than anything else in this world that this world can offer. Would we now and forever be yours? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.